0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.
1: 2022 is almost up, and we have a lot of hot takes to go through. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, Pastor of Church, located in the Des Moines metro. Back at you, it's been a while, with a podcast. Um, thanks for joining, thanks for listening. Whether you watch it on YouTube, make sure you like, share, do all the relevant things. Five stars in Apple Podcasts. And man, we're here today to talk about all the hot takes. We are here to get in trouble. Uh, I'm here to get in trouble with somebody at some point. And uh, my friend here, Jacob Young, is, is here to uh, get in trouble as well, as we are going down the path that we shouldn't go, but we're going. We're going to talk about all the hot takes that that sphere will talk about, you know, in their, in their two-line quips, but we're going to hopefully do it with a little more substance than that. So, Jacob, how you doing? Good, man. It's good to be with you today. Yeah, and you've been on before. I think I think we've done two or three podcasts together. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, give the bio. Where are you from? Where are you pastor? Sure.
2: So, um... I pastor King's Cross Church. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross Church here in Manchester, New Hampshire. And uh, we are an urban church where our church meets in a recovery center, a recovery center in our neighborhood. And uh, we're the largest city north of Boston. So we're a bit of urban and a bit of kind of rural uh, mixed together here in the city. And uh, we've been here for a little over eight years now. Uh, we planted Eight eight or so years ago, and yeah. um, I grew up military, so this is not where I'm originally from, but I'm generally American, and it's where I feel most at home.
1: America, <laughs> yeah. So we, <laughs> yeah, we we have some points of overlap. One, we're we're both planted churches. Uh, Redemption Hill has been around for about four four and a half years now, and we're both part of Trinity Fellowship Churches, so we're part of the same denomination. So kind of a point of contact and point of reference. For anyone who's listening and watching, and I want to add, I want to add this uh, before we get into the substance of this podcast. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say there's a lot of commonality that we have. I think our, our denominational connection shows that we have a lot of commonality. But I, I would also say there are areas where we we see things differently. Uh, we may hold to a same theological point, but we come to different applications. And I find that really refreshing, and that's one of the reasons why I do enjoy you having it on this podcast, because, you know, one, it gets me out of my silo, right? Uh, and two, it, hopefully it creates for a good discussion on specific issues that we're going to get into today. I would imagine, Jacob, I'm just kind of projecting here, we're going to talk through some of these hot takes, and they land on us a little differently, right?
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the beauty of confessionalism, right? I mean, we have... uh you might call them the bowling out of the safeties up and we're kind of, uh, rolling the balls differently and how we think through things.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm taking the the bowling Um, ball and I'm like chucking it like a shot put (laughs) and you got the nice form (laughs) mine's going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a a nice hook on the end of mine. So
1: yeah. And I can't pull with crap. Um, So (laughs) we have, we have an outline we're going to follow, but, uh, you know, all these hot takes that we can go to, you know, Twitter is a great place to find uh, the debauchery yeah, of the hot first takes. the Well, before I get that, let's, uh, I have a a thread of guys that I, that we interact with, uh, oh, you know, you know, Logan, okay. um, the guy named Brooks, you know, my yeah, name is yeah, Eric yeah. McIntyre. And I just simply asked, mm-hmm. Hey guys, what are your hot takes for the year? So we're not going to be covering this, but here's, here's oh. a quick list for you. Uh, married okay. women should wear head coverings when publicly praying or prophesying. You want to touch that
2: one? Wrong. <laughs> yeah, I want to touch that one. Work out wrong. your salvation. That's a wrong idea.
1: Work out your salvation. in Flippings 2 is probably not referring to your individual salvation, but the health of the church. <laughs> Here's another one. I'm not saying who's throwing this down. Singleness.
2: Uh, that one's probably right.
1: Yeah, that was actually pretty good. Singleness <laughs> isn't a gift, and we should be more careful with how we care for and encourage single people. <laughs> Jesus.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah i've always talked about celibacy being the gift not yeah. so yeah. there you go
1: the tripart division of the law is an unbiblical hermeneutic now i disagree with that one
2: you might agree uh, that's that dead wrong yeah, oh no 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 that's you, you Tripartite. I'm, I'm calvin on that oh yeah bro that guy's wrong whoever said that mean sh- he should be going to dude he should be sitting at the far away table uncool table uh yeah. in, the, in the cafeteria
1: Oh, he and I disagree in this one. This is Brooks, and we've done a podcast on that, so I'll point this one out on him. The son is eternally, functionally subordinate to the father.
2: Uh, Dead wrong. Bro, I hate that stuff. Get that out of here.
1: And this is one I agree with. We should be taking communion every Sunday.
2: Well, we do that, so yeah, sure.
1: How about this one? Chick-fil-A will be served in heaven.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I guess the question would be, is there... The, uh, for lack of a better term, murder of animals in heaven.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the question. Can we get to (laughs) the crap? I used to, we used to have chickens. (laughs) Am I dressing down my chicken or not and serving it up for a meal? Or are we going pre Yeah, I don't
2: know. I I find uh, that one, I mean, I understand the premise that Chick-fil-A is great. However, I will say that since Chick-fil-A is closed on the Sabbath and therefore, Heaven is the eternal Sabbath. Yeah, they'll be eternally closed.
1: Etern- <laughs> That's right. No Chick Fil A. <laughs> no Chick Fil A in heaven. Yeah, I I got a couple more for you. Just quick Twitch reaction. Okay. Okay. Christians generally should shouldn't be suing one another, and we should do. But we should be teaching them that they shouldn't sue one another.
2: Uh, too broad a statement, and often justice is pursued by civil lawsuits.
1: Ah, uh, one more. That came, <laughs> one more. That one more that came from today, uh, or yesterday. That yeah. actually, I'm a little. I got. I got my rock. It's a rock in my shoe on this one. Uh, Sam Storms. You see what he came up with? I, I mean, he wrote an article, so I have no problem saying his name. Uh, a complimentary. Uh, keep up with anything. A complimentary case for women as pastors. That that okay. that that title doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, I know what uh, he's saying, but I'm just kind of like. I'm sorry, I don't sure. see it.
0: Yeah,
2: I could probably, uh, I could probably roll with that one for a little bit. That's probably where some of our differences. I, I wouldn't see them as elders, but if you want to do that, man, I whatever.
1: Well, maybe let's start there just for fun. <laughs> so that's okay. that. That that's the argument he makes in his article. To be fair, I mean, if I want to give his article justice, yeah. he's parsing out what is a pastor, sure. what is an elder, what is an office in the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my take, which you're familiar with, and a lot of people listening might be familiar with, is that elder pastor is synonymous in, in, in the New Testament in particular. Um, therefore, sure. we, we shouldn't be parsing out yeah, like, said, oh, here's okay. your elder board or whatever over here, and now we're pastoring over here. Now, mm-hmm. what, I, what I will say, in light of all that, is there a general sense in which as members we are pastoring one another, we're caring for one another? Sure, yeah. Our community groups are a reflection of that. How we fellowship is sure. a reflection of that. But I, I I don't agree with the take that really was kicked off in Anaheim at the SBC meeting, I don't know if it was this year or the year before, where uh, they, they set out uh, some type of commission to do this study as if all of a sudden our hermeneutic had changed over the last 2,000 plus years. I'm just kind of like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what happened? So I... I I'm not with Sam Storms on yeah. that. He doesn't talk about the real issue is where does oh. authority lie in his article? At least I don't think so. So I think his article sure. is deeply flawed and filled I'll with a bunch of arguments is. from silence. Sure. I'm yeah, sure you
0: agree. Um, no,
2: I did not read his article. So I think um, I think I would kind of say something along the lines that elder is a gendered term. I don't mean grammatically. I mean, in terms of function, it's a gendered right. term, kind of like "husband." where it it presumes or includes um, the the masculine component um, and is uh, limited to that. Um, There are a lot of ways in which you see women function with the leadership and care within the New Testament. Um, I mean, some of the chief examples, honestly, are that women are the first to uh, proclaim or preach the uh, risen Christ to the apostles. I'm not sure that I would hang my hat on that as a direct line for uh, giving women the title of pastor right. but I think that kind of points to there is i I would probably say that that is probably more what works best for a local congregation um, in certain in their circumstances uh, I wouldn't agree with women elders uh do i think churches that have women elders are believers and have the spirit yes and so they are by my reading uh, churches are they healthy or unhealthy i'm not sure that's going to whether they have women pastors or not determines the health of a church so i'm probably going to be a little bit more hands-off and libertarian on that in terms of yeah I, I just i work with i work with women pastors here in our city uh i don't have a dog in that fight to manage them or that situation, so that that tends to be where I would land. It's not something that I would do, but I'm always a little—I probably listen to a little bit too much Rage Against the Machine yeah. to have too strong an opinion.
1: Sure, Oh, that's out of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, we can move so. on from that, but I just—I don't see it biblically. And when I'm, when I'm I'm talking in ideals, you know. So if we had to pursue. The greatest ideal what Scripture teaches, I, I just can't get there. Um, sure, biblically speaking and historically speaking. So, I, I I think there's a lot of pressure to move in that direction, especially in the circles that we've historically run in. The evangelical, and we don't like that word, but we're using it as an argument. Um, well,
2: and then, yeah, I guess to me, that's where it's like, look, I wouldn't do it. I have good reasons for not doing it. There's yeah. a history within the church and interpretation for reasons to not do it. Um, but I would want to be careful on how I couched it so that uh, women that do have leadership gifts and are being significantly used by the Lord to steward those bad? gifts in service to the church uh, don't feel like I'm now becoming um, their enemy or casting stones yeah. at them.
1: And I, and, uh, I, and, and I would agree with you on that.
2: Yeah, and if we get caught up on titles, it just doesn't over the, the function of discipleship within the New Testament isn't overly concerned with titles. I mean, obviously there are recognition of offices, but even offices are not commented on a lot compared to how much we might want to focus on them. So, yeah, I'm just not going to get hung up on that.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I tend to, I tend to get more hung up on it. I think. <laughs> I have a rock in my shoe right now in my boot. And I'm like, I just, I don't like sloppy hermeneutics. And to me, for me personally, getting to this point of where, yes, we say yes to women pastors is a sloppy hermeneutic and the same hermeneutic that you use to get to this point is used um, to where we've seen the church drift in other areas that we've compromised, whatever, with culture, whatever. And so, I'm looking at this yeah. more, think of it not more of a practical thing, a uh, practical way of thinking about it. Think more as like a, a scientific, like these things, these principles exist to help us lead us to proper ends and interpretation. And now we're betraying these very principles that we've been using. And so my beef comes back a little further down the line upstream, I guess, on the interpretive question, like how, what are the principles sure. here? And so that's where I'm like, eh. I, yeah. Yeah. Hold on, and I'm rocket. not sure I
2: would agree on uh, the. This is me. If you're watching, uh, it's
1: like me getting the rock in my shoe. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm not sure I would agree with the uh, sloppy hermeneutic uh, charge. Um, there's some well meaning and well intended uh, thinkers who are very thorough on their material um, that, again, I just don't know. If, I just don't get paid enough to particularly manage <laughs> that beyond our own local church. Yeah, that's so.
1: yeah, fair. Well, let's get let's get to something. Um, let's talk about American Christianity. Awesome. What is the problem in our views with American Christianity? Now, the setup before we get into the details would be this: I think we both have awesome. massive concerns with American Christianity, especially in broadly speaking the circles we've you know been in you know throughout sure. history. Here, here, here's where I begin. And then I know you can have thoughts on this as well. I see a constant compromise with the culture. Um, it seems to be more event-driven than worship-driven, right? Like let's let's do worship with the smoke machine and the fog light and and whatever else have you. Uh, I see more entertainment than I do a sincere posture of worship and song. As I think about just worship and song in, uh, in particular. And I gotta ask the question, like how, like when somebody comes into a church service, are they, are they, even they, let's say they, they, they came from Mars and they're here for the first time. They've dabbled, they've walked around the streets of Des Moines or or Manchester, and they come to your church. Will they see something distinct from the culture?
2: So. So, if Elon Musk comes to your church, basically, yeah. that's what you're
1: saying? Sure. Yeah. yeah. He, he he took his spaceship to Mars. He brought it back. He walked around yeah. for a little while. Yeah. You know, he the Men in Black yeah. thing happened to him. So he's got a fresh mind. Yeah. Is <laughs> he going to be like, whoa, you guys are doing things a little differently here than, then, you know, since sure. Starbucks down the road? And I don't see it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, again, I, well, I guess to me, my kind of, um, Changing disposition towards evangelicalism began as we moved into New England to kind of acclimate to the culture here and plant our church, plant the church that God was leading us to plant. And I noticed that the questions that we're wrestling with and the dynamics that we're they're dealing with, evangelicalism in large writ did not care. And then we would hold a conference uh, like Together for the Gospel held a conference yeah. back in. 2015 shortly after we moved here 2016 and they brought in um i think it was truman and um not truman uh d.a carson and uh paul tripp they're both great guys yeah but they brought them in as the main speakers and i'm kind of like bro i've been here for a year and a half and i know 20 other pastors here in new england that should be headlining this conference on faithful ministry or whatever it was in New England, these guys don't know anything about New England. I mean, no offense, but 10th Prez, where trip was at at the time, has no correlation to the context and ministry dynamics that New England rural pastors or uh, metro urban pastors deal with.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And to me, that kind of reinforced, even within well-intended circles, that um, the broad scope of evangelicalism had an agenda and PowerPoint slides to press that, did not really come up from within or maturate from the context where they're speaking to, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I start reading gospel coalition stuff and all that. And I'm like, bro, I've got needles on my driveway and I've got people who don't don't know if if Abraham's in the old Testament or new Testament, they don't know, you know, what is the sermon on the Mount or anything like that. And I look at gospel coalition and articles, strike me as a very suburban evangelical flavor that just doesn't match anything that I'm dealing with and how to disciple people. So that's where some of my observations came, started to kind of percolate. And as I've kind of watched the, the headlines of evangelicalism, it seems to me that evangelicals have uh, an addiction to pro, uh, prominence and power in a yeah. way that Undermines their ability to actually be faithful to the New Testament message or the the Bible's message in Bible. So,
1: yeah. Well, this is that, a point. Kind of, of, this is a point of massive agreement. Yeah. Um, it, it, I I talk about it like this at our church. There's a celebrity pastor culture, even celebrity theologian culture, sure. that is extremely unhealthy. Even if someone isn't seeking after the power, you know. Yeah the constant invites to the conferences being the headline to the main conferences or whatever whatever else have you is, is creating that, right? It's cultivating that. And we're, and, and frankly, we have, we're in, we're in a context now where local church pastors like you and I are not the main voice and the main shepherd of the people in the pew, because we have, youtube we have podcasts we have all these sure. other areas where it's like oh I, I listen to him he's the best preacher in the world but I'm like you know what? that best preacher in the world he doesn't sure. know it. he's not going to be at the hospital with you yeah he's not going to be the one you yeah. know marrying your your children or you know officiating your children right I'm not going to be marrying their children officiating their children right <laughs> at the wedding of their children it's gonna be a different conversation bro <laughs> yeah talk about hot takes <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I I really do have a a disdain might be too strong of a word but I'm frustrated with the American celebrity pastor culture that has been created and then and then and then when and what happens is when that when Pastor A or Pastor B you know gets removed from ministry what that does is discredit all the other pastors right it 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 creates Mm -hmm. doubt of you know. john and sally sitting in the pew looking at you know you or me or another local church pastor who's just grinding it for the glory of god in that local church and uh that that's created another unhealthy dynamic you know like like the rise and fall of let's use that as an example the rise and fall of Marcel, right that whole podcast series Mm -hmm.
0: on the Mm -hmm. one hand
1: on the one hand there's a lot that as a pastor, I can learn and glean from that. Be like, you know what? These are dangers that we need to be aware of. I, I can, I can see, you know, something uh-huh. my, my wife and I talked about it as we listened to the podcast and it was really healthy for us. On the other hand, the flip side of that coin is now a lot of people might be suspicious of our local church pastor because of what happened way out in Seattle X number of years ago.
2: I mean, that's a, sure. I mean, I, I imagine that's a possibility. I mean, honestly, that to use that podcast as a reference point, it was interesting. Um, I had my non-Christian, I had a non-Christian friend of mine that I do a lot of work with here in the city uh, through the recovery center. He was like, "Yeah, I've I've been listening to this Rise and Fall of the Mars Hill podcast." Yeah, and they talked about how um, he was a is a church planter. Yeah, church planter. Yeah, church planter, and how you know there's a certain level of arrogance and kind of bravado that comes with that and i'm and you're a church planter too yeah well i've never experienced that with you and so there's a sense in which it i i i'm not sure how holistic that is in terms of its application to other people Uh, but i would say that with that podcast as a reference point the the danger i mean of the myriad of dangers there's a brand that gets associated with a celebrity Right. And given that we are a consumeristic culture, I want that brand. Um, and I will then select a church based on whether it aligns with that brand or not. Um, you know, that used to be the old, I mean, I'm in actually um, 29 in addition to TFC. And that used to be one of the reasons why guys would join actually. 29 mm-hmm. get the branding sticker. And then people would join their church because of that brand. And yeah, right. I mean, that, that's consumerism straight down the line. I mean, that's not well. Uh, that's not malicious consumerism. There, there, that brand can be associated with, with you know, complementarianism or reform theology or missi- missiology of a certain stripe. Um, so that those are fine, and that it helps people to kind of quickly sift data, which is not a, a bad thing. But when it becomes a brand that then a church has to be measured against. I think that's right through within evangelicalism. And I mean, it's interesting to kind of consider, and I'm not sure how I haven't done a lot of reading on this in, in various aspects, but evangelicalism has kind of largely always been on the technological front of changes within technology. I mean, I think about even back to Spurgeon, um, who I guess would be an evangelical in one way or the other.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, pe- People were reading his sermons by... You know, they were sitting across that that wire across the Atlantic and they're reading his sermons for Sunday on Thursday out in Oklahoma, you know. And so yeah. there's a there's a mass spread that evangelicals and has always kind of been very keen and savvy on using technology to spread a brand um, positively and negatively.
1: Yeah, yeah but, I was going to say it cuts both ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily bad. But I mean, the other the the shadow side of, for example, that Spurgeon sermon thing is like you can hold that up and be like, Well, why doesn't my pastor preach like Spurgeon? It's like, Well, first of all, yeah. there's only one Spurgeon and he's who he was. Secondly, he edited those before they were sent out. So they weren't even the they weren't even original. like what he originally spoke. Yeah. He, he took the transcript and edited that sucker and then made it better and then sent it out. And it's like, <laughs> well, that's not fair.
1: <laughs> wish I could do that. <laughs> <Jeez>. Yeah. <laughs> wish I could take back half of what I said and then send it out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Get out all those ums. And you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I, people in our church make fun of me because I'll be like, are you with me? Are you tracking? And they're like, Jacob, stop it. I'm like, I'm just checking, you know, because yeah. you guys are all New Englanders. I can't read your faces. You ain't doing yeah. nothing. So.
1: I same problem. lost.
2: so I think that branding side is and to the extent that evangelicals align themselves with the brand of you know toxic elements it's kind of like you know to kind of get into the hot take thing I find it incredulous that evangelicals would get in bed with Trump for the sake of passing uh, justices through the courts to get pro-life you know, things overturned or whatever. And meanwhile, they have tainted and corrupted their witness by the mere fact of getting in bed with Trump. It, it under, it, it fits the brand. It undermines the the witness. So those Uh,
1: close, those close to me know where I'm at on politics, but without getting into politics, you do raise something that I think is a problem. And actually this cuts, this goes all directions it is the politicization of the church. Right. And it's not just on the right. Sure. It's on the it's on the left as yeah. well. And it really is. Oh yeah. And, and we've, we've to some degree, and I say weeds collectively, we've allowed that to happen. Right. We've allowed parties to, to dangle the carrot in front of us. <laughs> and we're like, uh-huh. okay. and so, uh, you know, for me, I got certain principles where I'm like a, a politician, never, I don't care if we're 50 people or 500 or 5,000 we're not we're never gonna have a politician I've, I've been in those churches where the politician comes in and he's basically giving yeah, his doing a, campaign speech Yeah, stump speech yeah, yeah ex- exactly and here here in the state of iowa you know we see a lot of politicians and you're in new hampshire um so you've seen oh yeah well. we're the
2: first in the nation man i mean i come this coming summer it's going to be a party no no I mean, no, no they're no. all going to be
1: here you're second in the nation i was yes yeah,
2: whatever it is that you guys call it that's called the caucus what is it, straw do you guys oh it's a caucus. caucus that's not a real that's not real it that's, is real not a real primary
1: really no, actually yeah, actually you know what the democrats <laughs> you know what they've done now they've uh, moved iowa and new hampshire back because they want to have south carolina and texas i think first
0: <laughs> so
2: if you're again speaking of twitter uh I really only begin to, I've only begun to use Twitter really for like uh new Hampshire politics and music stuff. And yeah. new Hampshire politicians are all up in a storm about this. They're all, you know, it's an, it's the problem that they're going to face with that is that it's in our state constitution that we're the first
0: in the nation. Yeah. yeah.
1: First
2: prime. So whatever they, yeah. So whatever they choose, we're going to, we're going to be the first. You You're know? not the first, you
1: so. You're not the first. You're the second. <laughs> Golly.
2: Bro, bro. It's, it's like, say, bro, Saying that you're the real first is like saying the text, the texting re- related to the first date is the first date. That that text message is not the first date. The so, date going no, out is the first sorry. date.
1: Well, I tell sorry. you what, uh, New Hampshire should be should be angry with Iowa, at least from the Democratic mm-hmm. side, because it was in the last presidential election where the Iowa Democratic Party absolutely botched the counting of the primary votes,
0: <laughs> and like mm-hmm.
1: like CNN, I MSNBC, and Fox are like. That. Iowa, you, Democratic Party, you had one job. Yeah, <laughs> you had one stupid job. Enough. And Enough. you messed up. I remember up. that.
2: I know. Was it Buddha Judge, wherever it was, that was supposed to be the winner? And we didn't know even going into when we yeah. were doing our primary. Anyhow, anyhow.
1: And and no one was like voter fraud. It was just mere <coughs> incompetence. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, anyhow, and, get us back on track, Sean.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Anything else in American Christianity that just it, it uh that you're bugged by.
2: Well, I think to the to the I think to the culture thing that you were talking about. I kind of I step back, and for me, one of the, the dynamics or the, the founding principle that I think through is uh, when the resurrected Christ stands uh, on the hill outside of Jerusalem and says, "All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me." He ha- there's no like exception clause. The resurrection changes the fundamental. Uh, metaphysics of the world and he now stands over the world shepherding it towards his renewed kingdom and that means even cultural dynamics that don't honor him or reflect him are still under his stewardship so for example when I see the evangelical struggle or addiction to uh, power Mm -hmm. and fame and celebrity and all of that stuff and the the atrocious ways in which it's been used to cover up sexual abuse or to enable toxic leaders or anything like that. I see that also reflected in the culture around us. And I see uh, within that Christ guiding the nations towards addressing that issue. So I don't take as strongly a negative view Mm -hmm. towards culture as you do, because I see them as a litmus test for how is Christ working out the redemption of the world towards his coming kingdom or his, the realization of his kingdom.
1: So a realization of his kingdom, your so, uh, post mill posture here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I tend to be uh cautiously optimistic on mill post millennial chasing post mill. So I'm not the triumphalistic, like the Moscow guys and all that sure. stuff like that stuff is no thanks.
1: So the wind's blowing from the north today here in the state of Iowa, which means I'm a more post-mill um, these days. And, uh, you know, I, I I am optimistic. My optimism, though, is not with cultures, with what Christ is doing in the church. And I can, I can say, you know, Christ owns every square inch, you know, over, over the entire yeah. universe, right? I, I'm 100% behind that. My optimism, though, is, is placed... I'm not saying you're placing it in culture. I'm saying my, my optimism is squarely placed in what, what God is doing in and through the church to not only spiritually sure. grow the world, but to bring to um, bring, about, bring about the realities of the kingdom of God here on earth. Sure.
2: And that's where I'm not saying that I'm like a wholehearted, like, yeah, it's great. I would say, you know, whether it's the, the gender sexuality stuff or the power stuff that's going yeah. on in our culture, um, those are Christ tilling up the ground to expose the reality of, of, of the world around us with invitations for us to participate in what he is doing and my post perspective is that each sphere of life will then be inhabited by people who embody repentance and faith mm-hmm. the two steps that calvin talks about of the life of christ of the life of the christian and so it's not that we're going to have a christian nation or anything like that but that Those things are are inhabited by people who are walking in repentance and faith, seeking the the, the righteousness of Christ.
1: Yeah, my guess is if we, and we'll move on to the next hot take here, but my guess is if we continue to talk about this in particular, the outworking of uh our eschatology, I actually think we're pretty close in agreement. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we're just maybe nuancing it or placing emphases on different areas. Um, Sure. And you mentioned Christian nationalism, which is which everyone just got triggered who's listening to this right now. Like, are they going to talk about Christian nationalism? I didn't say Christian nationalism. Oh, yeah. Christian nation. You said Christian nation.
2: <laughs> yeah, Christian nation. I didn't say Christian nationalism, yeah. but I think that that's atrocious as well. So if I'm just going to make anybody mad, they can just know. I think Christian nationalism is atrocious.
1: We're going so. to discuss that on another day. <laughs> 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 not, 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 because, not because I disagree with you, although I wouldn't articulate it like that. I think right now there's a cultural discussion within our circles of Christianity about that with Stephen Wolf's book, uh, the case for Christian nationalism. And uh, I, right. I've, I read lots of things. So that's my disclaimer. I've read things that are people would deem liberal, crazy and conservative. I am slowly reading through that. Not because I'm, I'm throwing myself into that corner, but because I'm trying to understand the argument. And uh, right. there are some, there are some holes in his argument. Um, I mean, there's always points of agreement when you read, a lot of – more can if you're conservative well, and you read something conservative, you'll find points of agreement. But there's areas where I'm kind of like, I don't agree with that, that, and that.
2: Well, I guess to me, again, it goes back to that kind of initial statement about my uh, disaffiliation with evangelicalism starting when we moved here. Yeah. That's not a conversation that any of my neighbors are having. Right. So to kind of pull those things together, none of my uh, – all of my Christian, all of my non-Christian neighbors, they would, they look at the Roe v. Wade getting overturned and they blame that on Christians and they don't talk, they don't see, there's nobody talking about how, do, what does it look like to have like a positive Christian nationalism? So it, to yeah. me, that kind of that aggregates some of what I pay attention to and care about. I, I just, I, it's not related to 03103 where I have my zip code. So right. I just
1: don't care. And I would say, in my context, you're probably going to have a little more. You're going to hear a little more of that kind of conversation. Um, yeah, sure. Me and Roby Wade. I mean, I was turned. It's like Florida, over the course of a short okay. period of time, it's gone pretty red, and it hasn't mm. historically been that way. And so, in that in that political milieu, in that context, you tend to hear more of those conversations taking place, which I think makes makes a you make a good point. Um, and you, you've said this without saying it. Pastoral ministry is very localized right it's about the person right right across from you at the coffee shop or the cigar bar right yeah and that's what well
0: and i think that's the
2: problem that's the problem with the whole evangelical uh complex is it tries to be it tries to give the the biblical perspective on something for all places at all times in all contexts and i'm not saying there aren't absolutes but Often they tend to be tangential kind of fourth or fifth tier application Mm. points made into essentials of the faith that just are not, they do not respect the priority of the localized context of the mission of Christ. And so, um, so there's that dynamic within that, but that's a part of why I just, I don't particularly care. And I will say just to kind of throw this out there is like uh, the conference thing, The idea that I have to go someplace else to get special knowledge about a perspective on a special issue and then take that special knowledge back to my local church to inform how we do things that I couldn't get without just opening my Bible and reading it, frankly, strikes me as very Gnostic understanding of biblical truth. If it's clear in the Bible, I can read it and engage with, with the text and critical resources to understand what exactly the Bible is saying. But if you have a special point and you're going to try to say that that is what we must know to be biblical Christians where we are, that is just modern language on a Gnostic teaching.
1: I I agree with you. I've been to zero. I've been to maybe one national conference. It was a DG conference and I was living in Minneapolis and we were just going as pastoral staff because it was right down the road. Sure. But other than that, yeah. it, I mean, aside from the den- denominational responsibilities, you know, one because I, I agree with you on that point and it, it feeds that celebrity yeah. pastor culture. Now, if someone loves going to T, T for G, great. That's your thing. Cool. If you get edified by that. Great. For me, Whatever, I, I, man, that's great. But for me, but man, it I've, seems
2: ridiculous to me to, yeah, to spend $2,000 to get yeah. 20 free books. I don't know. That just doesn't seem like a great deal to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the messages are all free the next, within five minutes of them being done. Yeah they're all free.
1: Yeah. I've never, I've never understood the appeal to to those things. Um, personally now next topic. That is an absolute ready for it. Yeah, let's go. You should celebrate the Lord's day on Christmas this year. That's my absolute (laughs) go your turn. (laughs) Uh,
2: no, that's a, uh, I've got a lot of things to say on that. I go for we, it. Uh, the irony of this conversation, yeah. The irony of that of this conversation is that we are doing a Christmas Eve and Christmas Day service. I was, I was just. <laughs> you covered on all it your today. bases,
1: man. You left no room yeah. for criticism. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, we're doing it, and uh, I yeah. So this is all in response to the Kevin DeYoung article, right? Um, that and it was, the the thing that was interesting to me is I went back and and read his article and then prepped for this conversation. I mean there's a number of things about it that just annoy me but it does my overall sense is that it feels like like if you're working at subway and you close up you know whatever time subway closes 10 o'clock at night or whatever it's like that guy knocking on the door at five five minutes after closing time to say hey can you make me a sandwich because (laughs) he acknowledges out of the gate he's like i know this may be late and it's published on december 1st 2016. i'm like bro Late, we made this decision freaking five months ago. Like I where are you? Like how do you run a church calendar? We do not make decisions last minute like this. And the other part of it that are is striking to me is that there's no there's no biblical or theological argument in the in the article. It's straight opinion and, and statements. There's there's very little rationale from so, the Bible on
1: it. I think so. he does make a biblical argument in one way. But he doesn't really make it very well because it was very brief article. It's like a five minute listen, you know, if you listen to the feature. And it was his emphasis on the Lord's Day. Now, that emphasis plays well to Presbyterian ears because every Presbyterian's like, "Yes and Amen," you know. It's the Lord's Day, and for Baptists who have a different ecclesiology or different understanding of Sabbath, typically speaking, you know, think about your dispensationalist Baptists, yeah. They, they have a completely different understanding of Sabbath. Like For example, I, before uh, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I teach um, history and theology to seventh and eighth graders. And I was at the at the school, is, is, at, is at a church? And it's a Baptist church, dispensational roots, bigger church. And they're having Christmas Eve service, no Christmas day service. And I'm like, I'm not shocked. And I'm not upset. And it's not, not one of those things. I'm not shocked because your understanding of Sabbath is distinctly different than Kevin DeYoung's understanding of Sabbath. And, um, yes,
2: I, I I can appreciate that. However, if I recall correctly, even Calvin himself kind of basically says in the Institutes that um, Christians should worship on Sunday because that's what we've done and that's what the New Testament Church did. But he did not. He kind of says like, but you could do this on any other day of the week. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like. It, so if I recall correctly, Calvin's kind of like every seven days is kind of like the point. He doesn't even lock it in on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, You know. Well, uh, not you to know. mention, the New Testament has several points where it drops into undermining the the uh, sacredness of certain days. And
0: right.
2: I'm not I'm not arguing against the Lord's Day stuff. I'm just the emphasis in the New Testament is not to uh, <clears throat> create that type of uh, holy mount, so to speak.
1: Right, and I think my only point is the understanding of Sabbath and that kind of ecclesiology is, is why he and other Presbyterians yeah, yeah, yeah. are not, they're not, they're never going to be like, let's do a Christmas Eve service and not go to church on Sunday. You know, they, I think I wrote an article. I'm like, they'll have their Christmas day service. If a cat five hurricane lands right on top of that church. Cause that's just what they believe where the Baptists are going to be like, yeah, we'll do it. We can get to it next week. You know, like that's fine. Yeah. It, 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 they're coming from different starting points. And so Kevin DeYoung's yeah. article was focused on pastors. I I wrote one because I read that mine was focused on members and, um, you know, just, I think it's just a holy responsibility of fathers and husbands in particular to be set the example for, for their family. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm not legalistic, but I also want a pastor, you know, like this is where I think we should be leaning in toward.
2: Yeah. And I think that the, the, the element of the article is that it presumes a certain level of culture and uh, resources for a local church mm-hmm. that I just think is unwise to assume. I mean, it's, you know, we have a uh, a church that we work with very closely here and they rent a school building
0: mm-hmm.
2: from the, one of the local schools, yeah, which is honestly a bit rare in our area. Um, and, um, you know, if they were to have a Sunday service, they would then have to also pay for somebody for the janitor staff to be there. And so even as they're so they're kind of weighing this of like, OK, we if we have if we do a Christmas service, we then are obligating somebody to come to work on Sunday. That is also Christmas Day. I don't think that's a very gracious witness to both the school or that janitorial staff. Mm-hmm. Um so that you know, that's a part of their reasoning for not doing a Christmas Day service, and I think that's totally valid. That, I think that highlights the missiology that I don't think was really present in that article. Um, in, what was it? Uh, Jonathan um, uh, Fletcher Long had a response to that. That he's from the Boston area. It basically said that he's like, "Look, we rent our space, and our space would it's either." automatically closed on Sundays or Mm -hmm. holidays like that, or we would have to pay for staff to be there. And it's not a gracious witness to Christ to obligate them to be there on Christmas day when it's not a holiday they celebrate.
1: Sure. I think that can go both ways. Well, uh, let me give the counter argument to that. And then a point of agreement with you, the counter argument to that could be as Christians, we want people to know that we indeed celebrate Christ on Christmas, Right. And we're unapologetic about that. That too can be a positive witness to, to culture. Now okay. I do hear the point, point of agreement would be every local church, again, talked about this earlier, is contextual, right? You have, a, you have your own situation and circumstances that you have to work with. Like For Redemption Hill, uh, the, the public school that we meet at is closed on the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, what do we do? Well, we're not canceling, but we're doing it in a home knowing no. that's going to be a smaller group already because people are traveling and visiting which is great sure but i'm going to give we're going to have a fellowship i'm going to give a short christmas meditation and we're going to have the Lord's supper and uh get get people out a little early cuz it is christmas and they have traditions you know so for our context i felt like that was a, an adequate response to you know this sure. this sunday christmas dynamic that's going on
2: yeah i think that uh, to that culture dynamic i mean there is not a um, we're in this interesting place in terms of American culture um, where there are terms being used for some, for the same days and times, which mean radically different things, mm-hmm. whether you're a believer or not. So if you're not a Christian, Christmas doesn't mean anything. It's giftless, you know? Yeah, so, right, right. okay, that's fine, but they're celebrating the same day. And we don't have a, co- uh, a homogenous culture is what I mean to say. And so, to make a declaration of all churches must act in this particular way as a homogenous group in an unhomogenized culture uh, is unwise. And honestly, to throw an article like that out, like on December 1st, it, it then let's say a pastor then agrees with that. OK, mm-hmm. then he's put in a position of having to, to throw a service together um, that was previously unplanned that's not going to go well. And that's going to, yeah. that's going to draw from his relational capital with the church, or he's going to have members in his church who agree with that article and now feel disgruntled embittered, or frustrated that their, their pastoral staff um, or their pastoral leadership, whether they staff or not um, for not having it. And so mm-hmm. I don't see the win out of that article because it's just cultivated frustration from either pastors then having to explain why they don't agree or do agree or congregations then feeling like am i in the biblical church do we do things Mm -hmm. the right way having that you know fueling questions and i'm not saying that you shouldn't fuel questions but it 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 seems ill-timed unwise um and unhelpful because it's going to it just creates negative feelings towards pastors and you know i i just don't particularly see the, the benefit of that article having been done when it was done or coming up i mean it just
0: yeah
1: if it was if it was uh posted on august 1st would you be as bothered
2: no i wouldn't be because that's when you make the decision right you make the decision back in august or july if you're going to do a christmas service and then if it's going to be posted then talk through like and I, I just I get really anxious not anxious. I just get really perturbed with biblical statements or things being couched as the biblical stance on something when it's not so super clear from scripture, like and I don't mean kind of like well, that I don't I don't mean like they don't have biblical arguments. I just mean like mm-hmm. look, Ten Commandments are real clear, you know, keep your pants on with people you're supposed to have your pants on with. Uh don't worship idols uh don't don't be jealous about your your brother's stuff yeah you know that that type of stuff i mean it's super clear um love your enemy you know care for your neighbors those things are super clear
1: keep the Sabbath.
2: keep the sabbath that's you know you you opened up the
1: door on that one
2: i know i did but it's like yeah but yeah, I think that you're accomplishing it in a in a relative way, whether you do it on Christmas Sunday morning or not. You know, I just mean that like that's not as as locked in an exegetical argument as it, it's presumed to be.
1: Sure. And I, what what I'm not saying is like, Pastor, if you're having a Christmas Eve service, not a Christmas Day service, like you're in sin. You know, it's not mm-hmm. my angle. I don't even think Kevin DeYoung would necessarily say that. Maybe who would? I don't know. But it seems like that seems like a really well tit- harsh... titling
2: your blog post. Yeah. Titling your blog post a plea certainly gives it a a certain tone of urgency.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean I can see that, but I don't know if that's delving into saying you know, or whatever else have you.
2: I, all I mean to say is couch it as a case for why you should do Christmas Day service.
1: hmm You know? Yeah, a case for Christianity. Rather National than stuff. a plea. Just wanted to trigger you, trigger you. <laughs> This podcast is all about me triggering Jacob. Oh my gosh!
2: Here, I, here I am. I'm, I'm reading Bonhoeffer before this. I'm gonna to have to go back to reading Bonhoeffer oh. about the, the apostate National Church
1: during this yeah. time. I, I love Bonhoeffer, man. <laughs> Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer's a top five for me. Um, I, my
2: one of my sons is, is uh Silas Dietrich Young because of Bonhoeffer.
1: Yeah, oh no, it's awesome. I'm a huge Bonhoeffer fan. Okay. This dubbed hit Let's uh let's segue into another um, mm. topic. I think there, in general, is a devaluing of our Christian holidays, um, Christmas and mm-hmm. Easter. I think we can focus on that. Uh, I think we've we've. Um, Andy Stanley said he's unhitched from the Old Testament. I'm going to say we've unhitched from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I just when I hear
2: somebody say that, I'm just like. Manichaeanism all over again, man. What the hell? I know. Uh, We're doing this again, what, boys. Guess what? No Old Testament.
1: Yeah.
2: Woo, no Matthew. Bro, talk, talking about making Santa mad. Golly.
0: Gosh, you
2: know?
1: <laughs> all right. So it, as, as as Anley Stanley has unhitched from the Old Testament. <laughs> well, we I, have... just,
0: I, I I have a
2: hard time somebody saying that. Like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, well, that's an interesting take to say while also professing to be a christian
0: all right
1: all right oh, let me let me finish yeah
0: yeah now you're okay, triggering I'll, me i'll hold back yeah yeah sorry,
1: sorry sorry all right so as andy stanley has unhitched from the old testament american evangelicalism has unhitched from church history that's the that's that was what i wanted mm. to say this whole time and part of that is um a general un, un, un without knowledge of like a christian calendar that has historically existed um, a celebrating of the birth of Christ and Christmas and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think that's unfortunate. I, I've made this, I've had this thought yeah. in my head. Um, I grew up Catholic. And mm-hmm. uh, we we had this thing called C&E Catholics, Christmas mm-hmm. and Easter Catholics. And uh, sure, sure, sure. on Christmas and Easter, all these folks who hadn't gone to church the other 50 weeks of the year, they show up. And it's like... sure even even they have an understanding of these particular yeah. days we're celebrating now i got questions yeah. about the other 50 weeks but
2: well i'll say this just to your point a guy from my cigar shop and this may be a reason why to have christmas day service he's asking me hey are you guys having a christmas day service i don't have anything else going on my family's all over the place yeah. and so he's coming to church on christmas day because we're having a christmas day service now he's he's come to church apart from that so that's not unique but that's maybe an argument for it, but back, and I would say maybe frame it like Christian American evangelicalism is unhitched from the main stream of healthy Christian tradition. Yeah. yeah. Rather than Christian history. Because American evangelicalism, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm married to a historian. She's going to say, but that is history. Like that they are, they are a part of They have their own history, you know. So they're a yeah. part of history. Yeah. I mean, uh, and well, and they're an extension of history, you know, I mean, yeah. they, in terms of why they got to where they are, you know, so
1: this, this, we're making history with this podcast, Jacob. Somehow, I'm sure. I, 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 I think the point remains. We've, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel away... like, the way. Go
2: ahead. Uh, sorry. I was just going to say the tradition word, I think, is helpful because yeah. then it's, it, it's a, it's a lineage of faithful believers through the centuries and how they have processed the thing and kind of distilled down into how we think about things in a broad sense.
1: Yeah. We've, we've, I like the word tradition, so we can roll with that. But you, you, in our outline, as we were preparing for this, you had brought up Pentecost, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think if you, if you're an honest reader of the Bible, you realize when you get to Acts 2 and you're reading the Gospel of John and how the, you know, Jesus is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit is going to fall upon you and you get to Acts 2 and, you, and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Like yeah. That is an event that should be set aside and celebrated in our churches. Well, and, it,
2: and Paul comments later, I've got to get back to, what is it, Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Yeah. I mean, it's within the New Testament life the New Testament world it was understood as kind of an anniversary that they um, celebrated.
1: Yeah. Right. Even, even um, again, growing up Catholic, we had Pentecost Sunday. Nobody really knew what that meant <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. Um, at least I didn't, I should say, but we let day yeah. was set aside, you know? And uh, sure. I, I think, I think we could think more about that. And what that does for our folks is that, is that as we are, um, as we are, you know, hitching our wagon to tradition, we're actually framing uh, the Bible for them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, Highlighting these really significant events in history that are connected to one another.
2: Sure. I mean, I think that's the value of the the church calendar. You know, you have, you know, Advent is the beginning of the church calendar and then you roll into um, anticipation. You know, uh, I can't remember what the The term is for the days between um, the Lenten season and Advent, and then after you have Easter, you then have ordinary uh, time. Ordinary time, or yeah, it's called ordinary time. It's kind of Trinity terms kind of get used in there. So yeah, I um, we we use that for our scripture readings. So we have uh, old and New Testament readings generally um, in our calendar. In our in our liturgy and those fall straight from the you know the revised common lectionary for our our services um yeah i i do think i uh what is our our friends down um daniel baker and those guys down at um uh,
1: cornerstone
2: Cor- cornerstone they have a huge knockout pentecost sunday service for years for this very reason i mean they're yeah. they're maybe more charismatic than i am um but and it's something I've I've increasingly seen more discussion about having that. And I've not quite known how to line that up with our preaching, you know, as we preach through books of the Bible and then how do mm-hmm. we emphasize that in a helpful way. I do feel that it should be emphasized. I mean, it's if there's any holiday that I mean celebrating the incarnation and celebrating the passion of Christ are not in the new Testament in terms of Mm -hmm. religious holidays. Mm -hmm. Pentecost is, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just don't do a good job of highlighting that, but that's kind of where I'm at on that stuff.
1: Yeah. I got a friend, a close friend. He's a Presbyterian pastor here in town and uh, they follow um, tradition very much closer than we do. And, you know, mm -hmm. move in that direction in the, in the future and the way he maps out his preaching calendars he, they have all their holidays in and then in between mm-hmm. all those holidays he plans his sermon series and so he mm-hmm. has his he has his absolutes and then he has these times in between the absolutes where he does his preaching and But is
2: that then just does that just mean that he adds a Pentecost Sunday sermon? Yeah, at, yeah. on top of Christmas and Easter so that it's three in as opposed to two.
1: Yeah, that means that he's preaching on that. Yeah. Now, how, how many of the holidays on the church calendar does he do? I don't, I'm not quite sure, but I know yeah. there's there's an, em- an emphasis there, which I appreciate a lot. And uh, I think when you find yourself in confessional churches, you you have, because you're instinctively tied toward tradition, you know, for us, it's the 1689, um, at least in terms of its foundation for my Presbyterian friend, yeah. the Westminster Confession of Faith. So there's already that natural tie-in to tradition. And so why not take another step and say, Okay, biblically speaking, we have we have these major call them holidays. Well, it's
2: interesting to me it's interesting to me that American evangelicalism will do like a Father's Day or Mother's Day right. sermon, but they'll they won't do I mean, they won't do the other Christian holidays or a July fourth one.
0: I mean, right. gosh,
2: you know, I so I I find that fascinating that those those probably reflect the priorities of worship for them. Um, You know, this understanding of fatherhood and motherhood, which they're they're biblical concepts. Obviously, they're inherent to Mm -hmm. God's design and all that. I'm not dissing on that, but to go out of your way to make it a, 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 a Christian worship service with an entire sermon on those things, but not on The father sending the son, the son dying in our place, Mm -hmm. the spirit coming, proceeding from the father and the son, you know, those Trinitarian dynamics. I think what the church calendar does is it invites us to live around God's story rather than this American evangelicalism one, Mm -hmm. which is based around these sort of political punditry points. Right. You know,
1: know, we don't, I don't preach. uh, Fourth of July is just another Sunday for me. Ah, uh, Mother's Day is another Sunday for me. Father's Day is just another Sunday for me. And I don't. I have no problem giving a nice little gift to your father's and saying something encouraging. But uh, you know,
2: Bro, I always forget. I will even make a note to say something, and I'll get up there and I'll forget it.
1: <laughs> don't care about you. I just. Name. I just don't. Yeah,
2: it's funny for all the ways in which I, I would come across as an iconoclast. I would probably perfectly fit in that sort of, you know, Presbyterian mindset.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount in 2022, and uh, this text landed on Father's Day just in God's providence. This is what I had to preach on Father's Day, and it was fantastic. I can't make this up. Matthew 5:27. You have heard that it said, "You should not commit adultery," <laughs> but I say that at you, anyone <laughs> who looks at a woman with lustful intent, I already committed adultery.
0: <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> that's the
1: passage oh, I get nice. to preach on Father's Day. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did you go on Mark Driscoll on that? How dare you? <laughs>
1: Not quite close. I mean I made me the guts to the end, but... Uh that's good. Oh. Uh so this is what I want to do, Jacob. That's okay. You got a few more minutes? Bro,
0: I got time.
1: So let's do this. I'm gonna pause and um what I'm gonna do is I'm we're gonna we're gonna stop this. We're gonna do a part two podcast and um we're gonna get into I think some topics where uh well basically the topics I wanna to get into the nature of sermon preaching and then pastoral burnout in its connection to 2020. That's a very real thing. Sure. So for those of you who are listening, if you want to check out part two, it'll be, it'll be uploaded soon, or it might be uploaded if you get this a little later. And uh, I think you're going to hear Jacob has to say regarding those topics. So with that said, thanks for listening. Make sure you like, share, do all the relevant things. And uh, we appreciate you listening to Cornfield Theology.